Welcome to the Littler Workplace Policy Institute podcast. Insider briefings on the latest legislative and regulatory developments affecting employers. Hello, I'm Corinne Jackson, a Littler principal in Los Angeles, California, and a member of Littler's Workplace Policy Institute, or WPI. And I'm Bruce Sarchet, a Littler shareholder in Sacramento, California, and also a member of the WPI. The Workplace Policy Institute is dedicated to making sure that policymakers hear the voice of employers as they consider workplace legislation and regulations. WPI also alerts the employer community to legal developments that would affect their workplaces, especially in California. Not all of our listeners may know this, but California legislators are required to propose their new bills for the entire year by February 22nd. That's right, and because this deadline just passed, we have lots of new legislation to review on this podcast. It runs the gamut from independent contractor qualifications to Me Too-related bills. There are even a few zombies in there. Zombies? Did the zombie apocalypse start and I just haven't seen the news? Yikes, not that I know of, but what I'm talking about are the many bills that were vetoed or died in committee last year and were brought back to life this session. Ah, well, yes. The lawmakers do like to do that sometimes. Sounds like we will have a lot to cover, so shall we get started with the new bills that are pending? Yes, Corinne, let's dive in with a couple of dueling bills about whether and how to codify the legal test set forth last spring by the California Supreme Court in Dynamics Operations West versus Superior Court of Los Angeles. As a reminder to our listeners, that case adopted the so-called ABC test for how to determine if a worker is an employee or an independent contractor for purposes of our state wage orders here in California. That's right. Essentially, the Dynamics decision said that to establish that a worker is a contractor, the hiring party must show three things. First, the worker is free from the control or direction of the hiring party while he or she performs the work. Second, the worker's tasks are outside the scope of the hiring party's usual business. And third, the worker is normally occupied in a trade or industry like the contracted work. Right. And in response, many employers said, wait a minute, the Supreme Court is basically writing a new law. But that's the job of the legislature. And guess what? The legislature responded this year with AB5, which would cement the ABC test into place right there in the California Labor Code. I don't think that's what the business owners had in mind when they said the court shouldn't be making new law. Ah, you got that right, Corinne. But there is a competing bill, AB71, which would reject the Dynamics ABC test in favor of a multi-factor list of its own. AB71 lists out 10 factors that should be considered individually and intertwined as evidence of whether a worker should be considered an independent contractor or an employee. While a couple of these factors are similar to the ABC test, other considerations are added. For example, the skill level of the worker, the length of time the work is to be performed, and whether the parties believe they are creating an employer-employee relationship. That sounds like a pretty detailed analysis. I wonder if either bill will move forward. Well, that question could be repeated several times in this podcast as we work through this list of bills. 
well, let's just wait until the end to give our predictions. Sounds like a plan. Now, Bruce, the next bill I want to discuss is AB 418, which would add a communications privilege between union agents and covered employees. So a union business agent could get a similar privilege in communications, just like an attorney-client privilege. That's right. A union agent could not be compelled to disclose confidential communications with a covered employee or former employee unless the employee has already made significant disclosures about the communication. Privileged conversations would be those where the union representative was acting as the agent for the employee's interests. And uh, we at the WPI believe that this is first-of-its-kind legislation in the United States. This one will be interesting to track, Corinne. But let's shift gears now to review another new bill. The next one, AB 188, concerns hairstyles. I've been waiting for years to discuss hairstyles in these podcasts. AB 188 would prohibit employers from adopting certain rules about workplace hairstyles. It would amend the definition of race as a protective category under the California Fair Employment and Housing Act, or FEHA, to include hairstyles and hair texture. So, under the bill, employers with policies that prohibit certain hairstyles could theoretically engage in race discrimination. It's always been challenging for employers to precisely define grooming practices and appearance standards. That's right, Bruce. That's why it's unique that AB 188 spells out that race traits are to include characteristics historically associated with race, like protective hairstyles. The bill even defines protective hairstyles as including braids, locks, and twists to draw specific attention to the types of hairstyles that are commonly targeted or banned in employer dress codes or grooming policies. Uh, Sounds to me like the California Assembly would like to warn employers to be more culturally inclusive in their dress and grooming policies. I think that's it too. AB 188 is a bill to watch for sure, and employers may need to review their employee handbooks. So what else is new this term, Bruce? Well, AB 160, this allows private employers to adopt an optional written hiring preference for veterans. It's pretty straightforward in that it states employers can have a preference to hire veterans as long as the preference is not created or applied to discriminate against other protected groups. Wow, we've covered a few bills targeting discrimination, so let's take a turn and look at a significant leave-related measure. AB 1224 would amend the California Family Rights Act, or the CFRA, to expand the types of employers that are covered and to reduce the number of workdays required before employees are eligible for family or medical leave. Right. Now, up until now in California, the CFRA eligibility criteria pretty much tracked the Federal Family and Medical Leave Act, FMLA. But AB 1224 would change that. That's right. This bill defines an employer as a business that employs 20 or more employees within a 75-mile radius, which is reduced from the old 50-employee standard. The bill would also eliminate the requirement that employees must have worked 1,250 hours in the previous 12 months to qualify for family medical leave. However, employers would still have the right to deny leave time to employees 
with less than one year of tenure. To sum it up, this bill would make family leave accessible to many more employees. So now that we've reviewed some key new bills, it's time to hunt down some zombies. I think I'd rather run from any zombies, but I'll be happy to discuss some old bills that were recently revived. Let's start with SB 171. This bill has reintroduced the prospect that California employers with 100 or more employees, so employers that are required to file an employer information report form or EEO1 report to the EEOC, will need to gather and submit data on the wages they pay to employees grouped by gender, race, and ethnicity. This bill is substantially the same as SB 1284 from last year, which died in the General Assembly. Yes, SB 171 seeks to illuminate pay gaps for women and people of color that may exist due to unconscious biases or historic inequities by requiring large employers to track, maintain, and report wage patterns by gender and race. In its introductory language, SB 171 states that it is the intent of the legislature to collect wage data to more efficiently identify wage patterns and allow for targeted enforcement of equal pay or discrimination laws. And it lists several categories of wage data that employers would be required to keep and report. SB 171 not only requires employers to track wage data by gender, race, and ethnicity, but it lists 10 salary bands that would need to be grouped individually. A few examples are executive-level officials and first- or mid-level managers, all the way through operatives, laborers, and service staff. And that would be an extensive set of data. And the bill further would require employers to retain this information for 10 years. Yes, but it does protect the privacy of the employee's information by mandating that employers and the Division of Labor Standards Enforcement, or the DLSE, maintain the confidentiality of any individually identifiable information within the wage data. Next, let's take a look at SB 142, which is a lactation accommodation bill and would add strict requirements for employers' facilities. It is another version of last year's SB 937, which was vetoed as moot by outgoing Governor Brown because he had signed another lactation accommodation bill, AB 1976. So, Bruce, what is the difference between the bill Governor Brown signed last year and this new measure that has been reintroduced? For one thing, current law does not require a specialized room for lactation, and there are exemptions to penalties for employers making a reasonable effort to meet the requirement. Current law does mandate that the private space for lactation purposes not be a bathroom stall, but explains employers may be in compliance with the law if they provide an appropriate temporary private space if there are operational, financial, or space limitations for the business. I see. So the new law that took effect in January is much more limited than SB 142, which would require employers to maintain designated lactation spaces meeting several conditions. For example, lactation rooms would have to offer seating plus a counter or table, provide electricity and a sink with running water, 
and offer some method of refrigeration for storing milk. The lactation space may not be a bathroom and must be near the employee's work area. But there is an exemption built in for employers with fewer than 50 employees. If those businesses can demonstrate that meeting these new requirements would cause a significant expense or operational difficulty. What about a company with more than 50 employees, but those employees are spread out among several offices? So let's say one of the offices is very small and only houses three workers. Would that office need to provide the separate lactation space as well? That's a great question, Corinne, but unfortunately, one which we can't answer today. SB 142 simply is silent on that issue. Well, that could be a tough one for a small business, but again, I guess we'll have to stay tuned. So, Bruce, our next bill, AB 589, touches on the rights of immigrant workers. The measure would ban employers from confiscating, holding, or destroying immigration papers of their employees for any nefarious purpose, such as human trafficking. The bill also makes such conduct a misdemeanor and imposes a civil penalty of up to $10,000 for employers that violate this provision. And that's a very hefty penalty indeed. In addition, AB 589 states that the Department of Industrial Relations would create a worker's bill of rights that must be provided to every employee. This bill of rights would need to be provided in a language the employees could understand and would need to be signed and acknowledged by each employee individually and then kept on record for three years. Now, this bill is actually a revival of AB 2732, which Governor Brown vetoed last year. Governor Brown found the notice requirement to be too burdensome for employers, most of whom have nothing to do with human trafficking or other such behavior. Indeed. Last year, we did see new laws relating to human trafficking, but they were limited to a few discrete industries. It'll be interesting to see what Governor Newsom does with this proposal, if indeed it reaches his desk. Okay, for now, Corinne, I think we should move on to review bills stemming from the Me Too movement. We've talked about new bills. We've talked about zombie bills. How about some Me Too bills? Do we have some new ones coming up this year? We do, just like last year. Let's start with AB 547, which has been named the Janitor-Survivor Empowerment Act. It sets out the guidelines for establishing an advisory panel to coordinate a biennial or every other year training program to help prevent sexual and domestic violence among janitorial staff workers. The panel would be made up of members from several Labor Department divisions and a member from a certified collective bargaining agent that represents workers. AB 547 also describes the standards for organizations to be qualified to provide the anti-harassment training for covered employers. For example, qualified organizations must have over 100 trainers, have five or more years of experience with providing training on harassment issues, have at least five years of experience with state programming, have access to local referrals for trauma related to sexual violence, and require trainers to have at least 10 hours of professional development each year. AB 547 further sets out guidelines for what qualifications the individual trainers must have. It is all quite detailed. Indeed. Next up, we have a similar type of training bill, this one for the construction industry. 
That's right. SB 530 would require the DLSE to create some specific guidelines for anti-harassment training tailored to the construction industry. Like AB 547's requirements for janitorial workers, this legislation would require the division to convene an advisory board made up of industry workers and state agencies to create anti-harassment training policies. Okay, moving right along with some more Me Too bills, AB 9 would provide an extension of the deadline to file a complaint under the Fair Employment and Housing Act, California's basic anti-discrimination law. The extension would be from the current one-year statute of limitations to three years. So if this bill passes, anyone filing a complaint would have three years to submit a claim to the Department of Fair Employment and Housing. But the bill also makes clear that the extension of this deadline should not be interpreted to revive lapsed claims. That's right. Although we see these types of statute of limitation bills introduced regularly, this one bears watching. Now, Bruce, the next Me Too-inspired bill is AB 51, which would prohibit employers from banning employees as a condition of employment or continued employment from discussing sexual harassment incidents that they either experienced or witnessed. Yes, this bill seeks to ensure that employees are free to report such incidents or follow through with other lawful investigations or proceedings without employment repercussions. And this isn't the only bill that extends protections to employees who have a claim of sexual harassment either, is it, Corinne? That's right. In order to understand our next bill, AB 628, we need to take a look at current law. Currently, employers with 25 or more employees cannot take adverse employment action against employees who are victims of sexual assault, domestic violence, or stalking. Now, AB 628 would expand those protections to employees experiencing sexual harassment. The bill would also broaden these employee protections to employees who are taking time off of work to assist family members who were victims of sexual harassment, domestic violence, stalking, or sexual assault. And if AB 628 becomes law, employers should be careful to maintain the confidentiality of employees seeking time off to handle matters related to their own or family members' assault or harassment claims. That's correct, and keep in mind, the bill broadly defines family member as a biological, adopted, or foster child, a parent, spouse, registered domestic partner, grandparent, grandchild, or sibling. Okay, so we have saved the most interesting and likely most controversial new Me Too bills for last. Yep. AB 170 and AB 171 would both create substantial new burdens for employers dealing with claims of harassment. Both of these measures came out of another bill from last year's session, AB 3081. Governor Brown vetoed the bill last year because he said it duplicated provisions already in law and because the new provisions were confusing. So let's tackle AB 170 first. This bill seeks to hold an employer and the employer's contractors jointly liable for any harassment arising from any worker supplied by the labor contractor. So employers could be liable for sexual harassment claims asserted by any contractor's workers? 
Indeed. And as noted in the bill's introductory language, employers are already liable for sexual harassment activity of their contractors and even non-employees if they knew or should have known of the prohibited conduct. So the last of our Me Too bills for this podcast is AB 171. It would also shake things up by creating a rebuttable presumption that unlawful retaliation has occurred for any adverse employment actions taken against a victim of assault, domestic violence, stalking, or sexual harassment within 90 days of the employer learning about the incident. Ooh, that does shake things up. Sounds like it could upend the usual burdens of proof. So does AB 171 explain how an employer would go about rebutting this presumption of retaliation? Not that I can find. We will just have to wait and see what happens with this one as it moves through the legislative committees. Okay, the last few bills we will review today deal with wage and hour laws in the Golden State. Let's start with AB 403, which would dramatically extend the filing period for lodging a wrongful discharge claim or other charge of discrimination to the DLSE from six months currently to three years. It further allows a court to award reasonable attorney's fees to a successful claimant. For better or worse, our next bill is much more straightforward. AB 673 would effectively double the possible financial liability for employers found to have not paid appropriate wages under Section 210 of the California Labor Code. Oh my, how does it do that? Well, AB 673 adds a civil right of action for an employee with lost wages to seek damages equal to the fines levied by the Labor Commissioner. So, the employee could get damages of $100 for an initial violation, plus $200 for any subsequent violations, and 25% of the unpaid or underpaid wages. Wow, and we know those damages can add up quickly. No kidding. So, Bruce, any other items we need to highlight? Sure. One more bill. It would modify the labor code, but this time it would give employers a little bit of a break. Oh, that's great news. We can go out on a high note. Yeah, it's not much, but AB 443 would give employers more time to respond to employees' requests to review their hours and wage information. Now, current law gives employers 21 calendar days to respond to a request by a current or former employee for their written records of their hours and pay. But AB 443 would extend this response period to 28 days. I think employers would take it. That extra week could come in handy for busy accounting departments or for holiday or vacation periods when office staff may be shorthanded. That's right. So this bill would give employers a bit more time before they incur the $750 penalty for failure to timely comply with these requests. And speaking of running out of time, I think it's time for us to sign off. Our audience must be exhausted. Well, we did have quite a lot of ground to cover. The new legislature in California has been very busy. In fact, we didn't cover every employment-related bill that has been introduced so far. There are some that are currently placeholders or that are so convoluted that we really must wait before discussing them further. 
And we also haven't discussed workplace health and safety measures introduced this year. Not today we didn't, but that doesn't mean there aren't any such bills. Listeners interested in Cal-OSHA-related matters should stay tuned for an upcoming podcast where Corinne will interview our colleague, Alka Ramchandani, for her take on current safety and health bills in the Golden State. That's right, Bruce. I'm looking forward to hearing from her and sharing her expertise with all of you. For now, many thanks to our listeners, and keep following our podcast for more news. As always, we will be sure to report back on any noteworthy progress for these new bills. And in general, stay tuned to Littler's Workplace Policy Institute for further updates and information regarding state and local workplace regulatory and legislative developments. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.